Hi, Jaron. How's it going? Hi. How are you, Sam? I'm good. How are you? Good. So before we go into all the questions and the history of your career and everything, for the benefit of the listeners, what are some of your key projects? What would they maybe remember your voice from? Well, I'm someone that the majority of the income that I make in voiceover is through the area of promos, promoting television shows. So I voice for many different networks and as well as cable networks. And a lot of the work that I do tends to come out of the marketing department. So I might be doing sweepstakes for Showtime and, and they have a sweepstakes. So if you watch their shows, you'll win a prize, you know. So it's, it's an area in what is called there's on-air promotion and then there's marketing. So there's things that come out of on-air promotion that I do, which goes on the air, and they're like 30-second spots. But then the things that tend to come out of marketing, they tend to be longer and a little bit more detailed. Right. So I work for ABC, CBS. I work for the affiliate stations of CBS. I work for different networks on cable like Showtime, TBS. I've been working in voiceover now for... 21 years. So I also do other areas, like I do live announcing. I also do commercial and radio. I've done um, some narration in audiobooks. I do a lot of voiceover for industrials, for television networks as well. So it doesn't necessarily mean it goes on the air, but it goes into a specific audience in television. So I, I do a lot of things in voiceover. I also do animation. And right now I'm on a series called Spike Team. It's here in the United States, but it came from Spain. It was a very popular cartoon in Spain. So I'm on a couple of cartoons at the moment. So actually, I am someone that has my talents kind of span as opposed to having just one niche, although there have been times that I've just had one niche. But over a period of time, and especially being a woman in the industry, you're right, you tend to have to be talented in many areas. Right. Because they do sometimes say that you find your, your niche and then stick to it, don't you? But I suppose you yes. that you can just, you know, be good at all of them. <laughs> yeah, and also too, it it also comes out of the fact that your niche ends up being the jobs that you get, as opposed to me saying, "Oh, my niche is this," even though I might think that and I might have one. That doesn't mean I'm getting work in that area. So my niche ended up being many different areas because I would get jobs in many different areas. And then at times in my career, I've just done one thing because that was what was happening. So I end up having a map of work and I have highlights. So in the body of work, there are highlights that things that I loved in particular, but I love all the work and I try to apply myself with all my heart with everything that comes my way. Cool. So how did you actually begin? How did your career in voice acting start? Well, it started by accident. So... That, for me and my world, is a plus. So I didn't even know that there was such a thing called voiceover. Although, when we listen to television and radio, we hear it all the time, especially now. It's just we are surrounded by voiceover. It is part of the culture, right? But And it always has been, except it was taken for granted. So even though it was out there, I didn't know it was a career. All I knew was I was having a very hard time breaking into show business. And part of the reason why was because of my look. My look, I'm a mixed race, was not popular. It may be a little bit popular now, 
but it was not popular all this time. So I, people were always saying, I mean, the conversation that was always around me was, you're really great, but we don't know what to do with you. Or, you know, if you were just a little bit darker, we could identify you quicker. All the things that you can imagine were said to me over and over. So it kind of even lit my fire probably even more, although I always wanted to be in show business. And I started out as a kid performer. I was on a TV series when I was a kid. I always wanted to be in show business. And I also started out in dancing. So I always wanted to combine those two. Plus, I wanted to be a humanitarian. So I had lofty dreams when I was a kid, and I've never forgotten them, and I've been very committed to them. So although I had a very hard time breaking into show business initially after being a kid, because when you're a kid, anything goes, right? So once I became an adult, it became extremely hard, and I mean for years and years and years. So it just so happened that I had an opportunity to work with a voiceover coach. And I didn't know really what voiceover was. I just knew that I could do cartoon voices. So I worked with her. We ended up doing a demo reel that was, at the time, a lot of cartoon voices. And then a couple of my regular voice. So I I am also someone that tends to show up to places as opposed to putting things in the mail. And we're talking back in the 90s where people, you know, put things in the mail. I like to show up because I love people and I think that it's really powerful to connect with them. So I ended up getting a a top agent right off the bat because my demo reel was such that it was, it had so much range. I didn't know it did, but that's what was told to me by agents that it had all kinds of range. But as soon as I got signed to an agency, they said to me, you know, you're going to have to change your demo reel because the market here in New York was one that did not have a lot of cartooning character voices. So they said, but don't worry, it'll be you'll replace everything with the jobs you get. So that's what happened. And the jobs I got were my regular voice as opposed to all the cartoon voices (laughs) and character voices that I had on my demo reel. So from the very beginning of voiceover. I think the reason why it worked for me is because I didn't get the game and I didn't get the rules of it. I played my own game and developed my own rules. Yeah, so you stayed apart because you did it all your own way. Yeah, and so I didn't realize there was a way. But now is very different than back then. Mm -hmm. And now it seems it's much smarter to be savvier since now there's many opportunities for work, but also there's many more people in voiceover. Everyone has different skill levels. So the focus would be is to develop your craft and your skill because that ends up being your weapon because we have to get our jobs by way of auditioning almost all the time, right? And also you want to skill when you do get the job so that you can keep the job. Yeah, exactly. So that is very, very important in number one in voiceover is the craft. And it seems to be in other careers – People understand that. So they spend money going back to college or they spend money training. But somehow in voiceover, because it's behind the scenes and because when people are listening to commercials, they don't realize that they're listening to a performance. So when people are listening, they're thinking, oh, I could do that. Oh, I've been told I have a great voice. But that is actually the least of it. The most of it is how you come alive in front of the microphone and breathe life into copy that's not coming or generated from you, right? So the voice is important. It's just not 
as important as the craft. Yeah, it's almost half the battle, isn't it, really? You've got to kind yeah. of know what to do with it. You can't just have a great voice and then go, yes. right, yeah, easy. You know, exactly. you've got to kind of know what you're doing with it. It's the same as instruments. You know, it's just because you can play That's a guitar right. does not mean you're going to get famous as a guitarist. You know, you've got to know how That's to right. do it. And, and but everyone, people do understand that though. But for some reason in voiceover, that's not understood. It's not as understood. Maybe now more so than ever, but it was not understood because people didn't realize they were listening to a performance. When we're listening to guitar, we know we're listening to someone perform, which means they've been rehearsing and taking yeah, lessons. Yeah, and, true, right? yeah. and same with ballet. When you watch ballet, you know that people have been training their whole life, their whole life. Yeah, people assume that on the radio, people are just talking. That's it. Right. Yeah. Well, that's how effortless we are because yeah. <laughs> the craft, right? And the demands of the craft to be that effortless. Well, it's easy, so, obviously. You just walk in and talk. That's all you do, right? That's right. <laughs> and talk about a product I know nothing about, really, you know? <laughs> yeah. I could do that. <gasps> so it, it definitely is a, a process and a path. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of hard work involved. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And when you come, myself, I come from the dance world, and that is such dedicated, committed craft to learn. Yeah. That I just transferred all that into voiceover. <laughs> so for me, I got it because I came from an area where you had to be very committed. Yeah. Whether you had injuries, whether it was blizzard outside, you still had to show up and do your best. Oh, yeah. So that I just transferred into voiceover. So it was not something that I didn't quite get as, oh, you mean I only take four lessons and then I do a demo reel? You'd have to be a genius and you'd be on the cover of Time magazine if that was the case. <laughs> because you did a bit of acting as well, didn't you, while you were dancing, didn't you say? Yes. So I, obviously that I must have There's no question it helped, but it didn't stop there. So, yes, I got, I was a child actor and I studied acting in my childhood a lot because I was on a kid's show. And so, even part of being on a kid's show, we had to take acting classes. And plus, I went to a dance school and I had to take acting classes. So, I was always taking acting classes. And then in high school, I went to an art school, it was a private school of the arts. And I took acting classes. <laughs> And I did competitions, and I and I was in tons of plays, and so, yes, that was my base. So a little bit of acting involved, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, and and you know, but the thing is, is that people also there's another side of it, and people think sometimes I have I'm immediately that translates into voiceover, and it doesn't necessarily translate. Oh, yeah. So it is definitely a focus, a craft, a building the inertia around the skills. Because, again, the jobs we get most, most often, and I say 95% of the time, we're auditioning. And if we're not literally auditioning and we have the job, then we have to keep the job. So, in a sense, you're always auditioning. Yeah, you're always auditioning even when you've got the actual role. So. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because I suppose you must work a lot with um, repeat clients then. You basically, you build your relationship yes. with a client and then hopefully through that you get more work. And, and, you know, to me, that is the best way of getting work is by getting work, keeping it, and then you're in the studio and sometimes people go, oh, can you read this spot? Can you do this? And then you end up working with someone else. Not that you don't get paid for it, but I'm saying, like, things happen spontaneously in voiceover. So that's also just part of it, it seems. So things happen all the time, 
and one thing leads to the next and then this incredible thing may happen. And if you think about it, you paid your dues by training and by putting a lot of focus in what you're doing so that outside of that, it looks like, oh, a surprise. But actually, you've been working on that. Well, it takes a lot of hard work and dedication even to get that far into audition yeah. stage. So. Sam, get it. <laughs> you totally get it. It's so true. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, you, you've done the groundwork before you've even got any work. So it must be a nightmare to just constantly when you're in the beginning, just going, right, okay, I've spent hours and hours and hours working. Now I need to get work. <laughs> you know, I, I do teach and I do coach, and it's something that I truly love. I didn't know I was going to love it. Again, it was kind of something that fell into my lap, and I have learned in my life that when the universe taps me on the shoulder, I pay attention. Yeah. So... I started becoming a teacher and a coach, and, and I found that I loved it. And if I wasn't doing it, it would definitely be a missing in my life. And part of the reason why I love it is because I love sharing what I learn, but also I'm someone that I realize that what really lights me up in my life is dreams coming true. And I've noticed that when people talk about their dreams coming true, I get so excited. So I realized that through teaching... I help people realize their dreams, as well as myself, but also others. And that's something that really lights me up. So I've discovered in my teaching that I am someone that connects people to their truth through their voice. And I consider myself a teacher in being unstoppable. So that's what I've discovered about myself and my teaching and my interactions with people through the craft of voiceover. And that is exciting to me. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I've noticed through all your posts and all of everything that you're doing with That's VO and everything uh -huh. is how much passion you have for this. And it's amazing because when you meet someone that's passionate about it, it ignites your own passion and you kind of bounce off each other and you're like, yes, this is what I want to do. <laughs> so, I'm still clear about it. Yeah. As opposed to I'm in a fog about it and I really want to do it. It's like I like making things crystal clear and a real vision to hold yeah. so that the person I'm dealing with in front of me can step into that and they really get what it takes, what they need to do, and how they could connect with it and then express it. So that to me is exciting. Human to human contact is very exciting to me and opening up people's hearts and minds. So when I work with people, I always thank them for allowing me to be on their path because it's such an intimate thing. Well, yeah, it's sort of a kind of mutual relationship as well. You, you know, you're not only helping them, they're also helping you. In, in That's the right. Respect, so. Like when the teacher is ready, the student appears, right? <laughs> so as well as when the student is ready, the teacher appears. It's a mirror. Yeah, exactly. The real art of it is holistic. It's not just your voice that's speaking into a microphone. Your whole body is active because as an actor, you have costumes, you have scenery, you have other actors you're responding off of, yeah. right? So that when the viewer is watching, we can get a sense of what's going on even before any words are said, right? Yeah. But in voiceover, we have to be all those things. Like me in the booth, I have to be all those things. And then have it land so that you get it. So it's a holistic experience in the booth, creating a scene, creating emotions that you're connected with 
speaking words that don't necessarily come from you, but you have to make it sound like it's coming from you in a way that's conversational. So most of the dialogue or the script is a dialogue as opposed to a monologue. That's a lot of onus on the voice actor in the booth and all you have are the walls around you. So you have to do a lot of imagination. Key, 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 key. So one of the funniest things is when you're recording someone and you're there and you're going, right, it's a thunderstorm. You need to shout. It's really loud. You have to get into the scene. Like, imagine this is happening. It's raining. You're outside. You've got to take everyone this way or something. You've got to be like, come on, let's go. You know, and then they're like, come on, let's, let's go. Like, oh. And if you were an actor in a scene, it would be much easier because you'd have other people around you. You'd have the rain. You'd have, you know, you'd have yeah, the all the... Yeah, the noise would be there, yeah. Yeah, so it's much, it's much easier, quotes, <laughs> to respond and react and be in the scene. But when you have to create it, scratch, yeah. by yourself, but be all these things, exactly. so that it lands as if you were watching it on TV and seeing all of it. Yeah. So there's, there's, you know, that's why a lot of actors, when they start doing voiceover they're like this is so much harder than i thought they really get it because they they know what it takes to create something visually too right so that when they get into the booth and they realize oh i have to create all this on my own i don't have the help of these other factors they turn to me every time this is so much harder than i thought that's right <laughs> yeah <laughs> but the thing is people don't realize with it I mean, you say with the conversational stuff, because even when it's not animation or a video game, when there is going to be visuals, even with radio, you still have to imagine you're talking to someone. You know, when yes. you're looking at a blank wall and a microphone, you still have to have the That's imagination right. there that you're in a store showing someone this product and going, oh, man, this is awesome, you know, blah, blah, blah. That was good. You know. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> that was Well, the blah, blah, blah was what did it, wasn't it? That was, that was my move. <laughs> Yeah, so it's a lot of imagination that you want to tap into yeah. so that you can recreate it authentically in the moment that you're doing it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I, for one, really appreciate how hard the whole thing is. Oh, <laughs> I love people appreciate it. It actually makes it easier, too. Yeah? Anything to make it a little easier. <laughs> so... What's been your proudest project so far? Even like Little Radio Spot or anything. What's been the proudest voiceover work that you've done? Oh, well, one of the projects that I truly loved was during the Olympic Games. It wasn't in 2000. It was the year. It was four years before that, I think. I was the voice of the Muhammad Ali Center. And there were spots that we did that ran throughout the Olympic Games promoting the Muhammad Ali Center. And they, the spots were so gorgeous. The graphics were so amazing. The music was spectacular. You know, and then me. So I, I was very proud to represent the Muhammad Ali Center as well as the achievements of Muhammad Ali. He was also, he wasn't doing the voiceover, but he was the on-camera. So he was sometimes speaking on camera, but the spots were just amazing, and they ran for the Olympics, and I was really honored. I was also invited to come to the opening, but I wasn't able to go. It was, it's in a different, it was in a different state. It was in St. Louis, Missouri, so for whatever reason, I wasn't able to go, but I would have loved to. Yeah, also, true. another spot or project I was proud to be voicing was for the Clinton Library in Little Rock, Arkansas. I did a five-minute narration 
on the library itself and the makings of the library. So all the visuals were 3D visuals of how the library was made. And the library is extraordinary, right? So the only people that are on the, the voice aspect of it is myself and Bill Clinton. I met him. Oh, wow. And he was, well, he was extraordinarily happy with the piece and with my voice on it. So, of course, that was a highlight. Very proud moment, yeah. Highlight. And then there's television networks or cable channels that I voice shows before that, I, that are my favorite. And one of them was Red Shoe Diaries on Showtime. And I was the voice on it for years. I loved doing that because, you know, you get to create a sound and a voice for t TV shows when you do them along with their brand. So it goes along with their brand. And I just, that was just a highlight that doing that show and what I got to do with it was just a highlight. But there are so many things. There are live events that I live announced for that I just absolutely loved. So those are just... A, couple of the highlights that mean a lot to me. I think one of the biggest things that I'm proud of is Secrets of VoiceOver Success, the book that I wrote and conceived, as well as That's VoiceOver that I created with my husband, Rudy Gaskins. That's amazing. Yeah. So those two, those are extraordinary to me. One thing that I'm doing early next year is uh, both Rudy and I are creating a event for the Museum of the Moving Image. Oh, wow. And, yes, and it focuses on behind the scenes in television and radio. So how perfect for voiceover. Exactly. Right? And I did an event for them back in 2006, and they've asked me to create another learning entertainment type style event yeah. for February. It's going to be February 27th. We're in the midst of creating the name. And I'm going to host it. I'm going to have a co-host for it wow. that's going to host with me. And it's going to focus on the different areas of voiceover that are really popular at the moment. And it's going to introduce the industry here in New York. And there will be some interaction with audience and people on stage. And the uh, Museum of the Moving Image is the most extraordinary museum that houses the oldest cameras in the world, you know, the first cameras that were made for film, same with audio, same with microphones. It's just an extraordinary surrounding to be around. They redid the uh, museum and it's completely futuristic. So it houses history in a futuristic setting. That's cool. Yeah, it That's is. Cool. And their exhibits are the best. I mean, this is going to be really extraordinary. So I'm really excited about that. And that's coming up as well as that's voiceover, which will be sometime perhaps in September, October of next year in New York. Cool. So we're working on that too. I'm very, very excited. What would you say has been your most challenging role so far? Well, I'm going to say on a certain level, every day is challenging. Every day is challenging because I have a lot of stuff on my plate that calls for me to be at 100% with them. And with that comes sets of challenges with each project that I'm working on. You know, nothing is ever kind of perfect. So my day-to-day -day is actually challenging. But I feel like I'm someone that I keep myself very motivated. I keep myself inspired. 
so that the challenges that I go through every day, and the challenges may be auditioning for things, the challenges may be when I'm at a job and creating voices, working with directors. You know, not everyone's personality is, is hunky-dory, right? So you're dealing with all kinds of personalities, and you have to find a way to work with people if they're challenging. And then running a business. My husband and I, we run a boutique marketing firm, and so we have clients there. And not everyone's easy dealing with them in that sense either. Push creative advertising. So my day is not just full of voiceover. It's full of also marketing and working with clients on that side of things. Sometimes Rudy and I basically work six days a week, and we usually work 10 hours a day. I was going to say, do you guys, you know, sleep? Well, what I do want to say is I have to sleep or I could not show up and be at 100%. So it's not like I lose sleep at night, but I mean, I I have to focus on relaxing at night. There's no question about that. And I also do meditation little breaks during the day. And I really do look forward to it because it really replenishes me and feeds me so that I can again start to focus on whatever it is in front of me. So I actually do that throughout the day, and I do it at night before I go to sleep. And I've developed through meditation coaches that I have, meditations that really work for me. So it actually takes something to de-stress for me because there's so much. But everything is feeds into each other. So it's not like on one hand I'm doing voiceover and on another hand I'm doing something completely different. Everything is under that umbrella. So I love what I do and I love my days. But yes, they're in, it's incredibly stressful. And also there's a lot of timing because I coach people. I have auditions. I have jobs. I do marketing here. And so my schedule is like the domino effect. And so every day there's also a little bit of stress my schedule changes and how that's going to affect things. It sounds like you're kind of living the dream as well. I usually ask people what their dream project would be or what their dream role would be. But I mean, you've done so much. Is, yeah. there, is there anything left? One of the things that I definitely want to do is a cartoon series. Yeah. And my husband and I, we created a cartoon series. Now it's a matter of shopping it. And we've already started to do that a little bit. But the cartoon series is based on my life growing up as a mixed-raced person. And when I tell you there's plenty of material, it's shooting through the roof, honey. So not at a loss for material. And we've created characters and fleshed them out. And so that's something that would be a dream, to have that come to life. Oh, and if you saw the characters and saw them in their drawings and then their array of colors, extraordinary stuff, that's something that we look forward to creating and having to come to fruition. Yeah, definitely. I'll be keeping an eye out for that. That sounds awesome. Sounds really, really cool. When you were talking about meditation, this could sound like a really stupid, ridiculous question. You know, self-help tapes, would that just not work because you're too busy criticizing them and listening to their work? I think that's a really interesting question because there's a part of me that I always observing and analyzing and critiquing, not necessarily harshly, although there might be that too, but no, I'm constantly critiquing, but in a way that services me and what I want to do in the booth or if I'm doing something on camera. So the analysis that I have to give to life and behavior isn't necessarily one where I'm putting it down. It's one where I am critiquing and analyzing in order to use it for my own benefit when I have scripts that call for certain attitudes, certain behaviors. 
and certain life experiences. So one of my, I feel like one of my specialties is analyzing human behavior, but not in a way that's necessarily criticizing because when you do that, when you criticize things so much and you're not really, it's not a loose kind of criticism or one that you want it to grow and transform things, it makes it harder for you to actually go into the booth because you know how harsh you criticize things. So then you assume that other people must criticize you harshly and then it makes you shrink. We're all opinionated. We tend to have hefty opinions, especially the older we get. So what that does is that it makes you feel like, well, if you're as critical as you are, then others must be critical of you. So then you go to perform or you're in the spotlight in some way, you won't be able to flourish as much because you're thinking, oh, I'm being criticized or judged. So there's a fine line there. So when I'm listening to meditation or if I'm listening to tapes that are empowering me, I'm not necessarily critiquing what I'm hearing unless it's so annoying that it gets in the way of the message. Normally, I'm appreciating and taking in and receiving what I'm getting. Now, there are people, like, for example, like when I watch someone like a Heidi Klum, she's a host, and I think she's really improved since she's had the opportunity to host. And now she's like on fire. She just won an Emmy Award. But I listen to her voice, and I, even though it's gotten better, I'm thinking, if I was her, I would get a coach. She may have had one or two lessons. I don't know. But I'm saying her improvement to me is improvement just from doing it and having to probably be clear and maybe people saying, you know, that wasn't quite clear. So I think her speech, I'm not even necessarily talking about her accent, but her speech, it's hard to understand words are clipped off. You know, there's all kinds of things in her speech that it would behoove her to get more under her belt since she's a host, since she's out there, since communication is so crucial. And yet, I can barely understand what she's saying. So that's where my critiques start to come in. When I look at people and I go, I can barely understand what they're saying, or the way their voice is placed, that's hard to tolerate. That's where my maybe harsh critiques come in. But other than that, unless I'm using it for work, I try to enjoy things as much as I can outside of work. One of the people that we ended up media training was... She was Miss New York, and she became Miss America. So, again, I have to use my analysis on the pageant world, on what does it take when you're being judged to be free in front of people that are the judges, you know. So we have to put that all together in order to help someone flourish. So that's where, again, my analysis skills come in. I don't necessarily use it to put things down, although that happens, I'm human. It's really to utilize for work. Like I watch a movie and then all of a sudden I'm attracted to a role that I see, right? And then I, what I do is I start to put myself in that role and go, how would I do it? And also I know too that a lot of times when you do voiceover work, you do a lot of takes, right? You know, take one, take two, take 14. When you're working in a job situation, as opposed to an audition in a job situation, they really work you. So a lot of times when I hear the end result on TV, I'm thinking, Oh, I wonder why they use that take because then it becomes about taste level. And also I'm listening to it through the schism of what I don't like or like about myself. So when I hear something on TV and that person I'm working with doesn't know those issues. So they listen to it with different ears than I do. 
So sometimes I'll listen to it and I go, I wish they had chose another take. Like, why did they choose that take? <gasps> and of course, you think you have the better taste, right? Yeah, so it's very subjective and mixed with objective. When I'm working with people, they'll say to me, and I, so I heard this commercial on TV and it wasn't very good or I didn't like the voiceover. I'm like, well, you know, the end result was it wasn't in the voiceover's control. They were being directed. And then the takes that they were using and piecing together to make the spot, that was them. But yet the voice actor will get the blame. It's not always that. The end result is the end result. I sometimes love it. And then other times I have to learn to live with it. Do you have a favorite genre that you've worked in? Because you've done pretty much voices in every style, haven't you? Yeah. Do you have a favorite genre? I would say my favorite genre is promos. And almost equally, I would say animation. Love it. There's a certain freedom of expression that is a little bit more wide. You know, there's more room to add incredible things. Yeah. In promo, the reason why I love it so much is because it's very powerful. And... It's the type of thing that sometimes when you hear a promo, that's if you're really listening, right? And you really get that you're listening to a promo. It can give you goosebumps. So the timing of the music, which is usually hot, right? And then the voiceover that tends to be kind of on the sexier side. Of course, it depends on the promo. But in general, you know, there's like a sexiness to promos, that there's permission there. And so I find that really like love it and exciting. I find that so exciting. Is there a voice that you do, you're like, this is my unique animation voice, you know, cartoon voice that you do? I could say yes, but at the same time, it's like, since I more or less work with people that I have to create the character, like I'll see the character on screen and in action and then I have to create mm -hmm. it. It's not necessarily my go-to kind of cartoon voice. So I might have that, but it doesn't work with everything yes. I'm doing. So there's many things that I create and I end up falling in love with the character. And so I end up loving, breathing life into it. Again, it's not necessarily the go-to voice. With your friends and stuff, do they say, oh, Joan, give us a voice? No, I'm someone that will break into a, like I'm talking and then all of a sudden I might break into a voice, you know? So I'm actually, that's part of my personality. So no one has to ask, I'm already doing it. And also, I love imitating. I'm not like a voice replacement where I would imitate an actor necessarily, but I'm someone that imitates life and people that I meet. So that I'll do through storytelling. I remember one time when I first got into voiceover and I had a coach. My coach was named Joni. Same yeah. with me. And uh, she did a lot of cartoon and character stuff. Brilliant at it. And so she tended to get people to coach that were doing that. So one time I was waiting for my session outside of her apartment and I could hear her working with someone and the girl was talking like that. And I thought she was doing a character voice, right? So when my coach opened the door and introduced us and the woman said, oh, hi, nice to meet you. I said, hi, nice to meet you too. But I had no idea. So... Oh. I know. And so to this day, and this was many years ago, to this day, when I speak to my coach, Joni, she'll say, remember the time? Like, because I went back and forth not realizing that that was really her voice. So the beauty of voiceover is that sometimes when you go into an audition, you never know what voice is going to come out of someone's mouth. 
So I found that very fascinating about voiceover, that you never knew when someone opened their mouth what they were going to sound like. Yeah, I mean, was it um, your book, actually? Was it Joe Cipriano who said that he had that for a while because he said he had quite a high voice? And then, he so just he, wrote a book, by the way, called Living on Air. Yeah, it's right. an e-book. So he just came out with a book. And yes, he said in my book he had a high voice, but he made it really work. What I've noticed in voiceover is that men tend to get jobs where that's their job. And so they end up, like Joe, he created a niche from his higher voice. In the promo world, it became like almost like comedic and funny and energetic. He created that niche. And so when you're making money off that niche, there's no reason to explore outside of that. But one day I think he realized, I don't remember the story behind it exactly, but he realized he, you know, he wanted to spread his wings. And so he started working on a lower register in his voice and discovering different aspects of his voice. That's really important in voiceover. But it's easy for men to get into a niche and that's all they do. Where men, women, they have to spread their wings because sometimes you don't know where you're going to get your job. And it might be, it might not be in your niche. It's true because men, they're not less versatile, but they just seem to be picked for less versatile jobs. Because like you yeah. said, they'll get in a niche and then that's it. They're kept there because that's what they do. Like right. The movie trailer guy, he must be able to do tons of other stuff, but he probably just gets picked for that. You know, <laughs> there's many of the one movie trailer guys out there. The late, great Don LaFontaine was the movie trailer guy. And as a matter of fact, he created the genre. Because it was so successful and he was so ahead of his time in creating that genre, it hasn't much changed since then, including not hiring women. And in our business and voiceover, I've noticed that if something isn't broke, they don't fix it. And also, it's like, it's making money. There's nothing wrong, so why should we change it? It's working. Yeah. That's why I love so, some of the smaller projects, because they take more risks with things. Yeah. And it's Hollywood. They're just kind of like, no, this is what we do, and that's how it's going to go. Yes. that's what works. Even in the video game world and stuff like that, there's a lot of independent stuff coming out everywhere. And they'll just take risks with voices. They'll take risks with whatever else they're doing. And it's free yes. reign, and it's great. I think the movie business could take a lot from that. And the trailers, yeah, right. Especially. It could. And, and I think video games are the biggest selling entertainment out there right yeah, now. Yeah, which everyone forgets as well. They're just kind of like, oh, <laughs> video games. Right. Oh. <laughs> I think Grand Theft Auto a couple of their seasons. And it's intense work. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Because uh, we had a question sent in, actually, to say, how was it working on Grand Theft Auto 4? Well, this, this is how it was behind the scenes. So you don't get the script prior. You know, sometimes when you're working on things, they, they will give you the script because you want to work on it, right? But with Grand Theft Auto, they won't give you the script, not even in the lobby when you're waiting to go in. Like, they don't give you the script. So when you, it's when you're in the booth, plot down the script. Just so happens what I was doing was about 90 pages worth of script copy. Wow. Yeah. And to not have it in advance is a little nerve-wracking, yeah. right? And again, it was on the spot that I was creating the character. Because when I, when I was doing Grand Theft Auto, I had actually auditioned for it, not knowing what it was, a year <laughs> prior. So a year later, I get a call from my agent, and they said, do you remember auditioning for, for Grand Theft Auto? I was like, I had no idea what they were talking about. They are like, well, you booked it. And it was a year <laughs> before that I auditioned. So... No, everything is in the moment, literally in the moment. 
And if you have a big part, and I certainly did not have a huge part, but 90 pages worth of copy, in my mind, is a big, it's a responsibility. To not be able to get any of it until you walk into the booth is very, is nerve wracking. And the one thing about Grand Theft Auto, is, in particular my part, is there's a lot of words that aren't necessarily the norm that you would say, that you say in that world, and I'm like, it's like, how do you say that word? What is that word? What does that word mean? And they're like made up words. You know, trying to act like, oh, I know the words. But really, I'm like, what the hell are these words? You know? So it would have been nice to get the script before. But working with them, that they were great to work with. They're very professional. And they're very, they're very accommodating, I feel like, in the moment that you're there, which is very helpful since you just get it when you get the script when you get there. So very professional and the studios were amazing and they're guys like you they literally are guys like you and they're into it the passion that's what i felt their passion so you can't help but feel that and be moved by that let's talk a bit more about your book obviously i really enjoyed reading it i thought it was fantastic it was very very inspiring to uh, a guy who wants to be a voice actor how did you get the idea in the first place i mean obviously apart from the, the reason behind it what made you want to write a book I'm someone that spent, I've spent lots of hours and time in bookstores reading, not just acting books, but usually metaphysical books. So I would spend hours and hours and hours. So maybe somewhere in the back of my mind, it was kind of a fantasy. But what brought it to reality was when my dad passed away from Alzheimer's and he passed away from complications of it in 2003. And at that time, there wasn't as much information and knowledge and awareness as there is today, there wasn't back in 2003. So it was really devastating. And it was devastating to see him go through the different stages that one goes through when they end up going in that way. So I knew that in my grieving process that I wanted to do something and contribute to that cause. Again, when I was little, I wanted to be a humanitarian. I just didn't realize it was going to be through the, one, the very person in my life that meant so much to me. That excited me. And then I was taking a class. It was on self-expression and leadership. It was a three-month course, identifying different communities in your life and choosing one that you wanted to give back to. So it was perfect timing, and I wanted to give back to the voiceover community. And what I created was a book to do that and then donate the proceeds to Alzheimer's. Yeah. Unbelievably so, I created a business plan and stuck to the business plan in creating the book. I also did the book in business hours. And by the time I created the book, and I knew nothing about the book industry. I knew nothing about the publishing industry. I knew nothing. All I knew is... Hustle. I had looked up on the internet what I had to do. I had to create an overview. I had to do a book proposal. So I got busy and I did that. Yeah. And I called my wish list of people that I wanted to be in the book. Almost all of them said yes, if not all of them. I interviewed them all, either by way of internet or on the phone or in person, and created their chapters. I hired an editor. So I did the stuff that you needed to do, but it basically took me from the time I decided I was going to do it to the time that the book got published, a year and a half. So it didn't take years and years and years. I want to point out a theme with me. Beginner's luck is very powerful. Like, boy, so once I started doing it it didn't take me long to get an agent to do a demo reel to train for it you know 
So because I didn't know the rules, same thing with books. I didn't know the rules. All I knew was I had the hottest book proposal imaginable and I was going to get a publisher and a literary agent. That's all I knew. So on fire doing it. And I also felt like the result of the book, I didn't know that it was going to turn out exactly the way it did, much bigger than what I assumed, much bigger. But I knew that it was going to have impact on people. And that was also something that I wanted to see through and didn't lollygag about it. Yeah, I mean, you've got some great people in there. It's absolutely fantastic. And it was definitely my wish list. Yeah. And Don LaFontaine, that, I might have put him on my wish list, but I certainly wasn't thinking, oh, well, definitely. Because I didn't have a track record in terms of writing. And also, a lot of the people in the book that are in L.A., I'm sure they never heard of me, just as an actor, not like as a personality out there. But one of the things that the book did to me, which was a focus, was that, it brought out people's leadership in the community that they were in that they weren't somehow able to do, especially in that genre. And people got known in the book and in a genre that they weren't known in. And I think it really inspired people. I know that one of the people in the book, and people have told me a lot of things, but one of the people in the book told me, I always wanted to connect what we did to a cause. And you did that. Yeah, and, that's amazing. And that means a lot to me, you know. And the proceeds going to Alzheimer's, that means a lot. And it also helps me feel like I'm part of a solution and contributing to the very thing that took my dad out. And that's the thing that keeps me inspired. And same with that's voiceover. We contribute ticket sales to Alzheimer's associations. And I'm sure the book that I'm working on now, I already know it's going to do the same thing. So this is very inspiring to me personally towards my dream of being a humanitarian. So your advice for a voice actor, so say someone like me, for example, what's the first step that I take to get into voiceover? Well, the reason why it's not that easy to say is because probably people in Europe will be listening to this too, right? And I don't know the market that well in Europe. But I do think since I have worked with people that have literally crossed the pond to work with me here in my studio, I think from what I gather with working with some people from Europe that I can safely say certain things, okay? And because and, it does depend market to market sometimes. But what I can safely say is that you must work on your craft to get it to the point where it's competitive, because we, the way we get our jobs is competing. So your craft has to be really palpable. What I would also say is it's important that you work on your voice. Your voice is your voice, but there is ways to work on it. Because as voice announcers, we have to be very clear with what we are communicating connected to emotion. Your breath is very important and getting in touch with that. And the quality of your voice is very important. And that's also something you can work on. Just like a dancer works on pointing her foot or his foot. You know, you work on your point. You work on your legs. There's all these aspects you work on, but you bring it together holistically for the art. So working and connecting your breath, the quality of your voice Keep that moist and juicy and growing. So, for example, when I first got into voiceover, my voice was much higher. But as I've worked on my voice, it's relaxed and gotten lower. 
And so it does work better, I think, when your voice it has some bass to it. It can still have a high quality, but to have bass to it and have it mix like that, I think is the perfect combination for in front of the microphone. So you have to work on your tools and your skills. That is a given. Then the good news about voiceover is when you do a demo reel, it doesn't have to be real spots. It just has to sound like it in every way, including the music that's chosen, including the sound effects, like all of it has to come together and sound just as if it was on the air. So your demo reel is crucial. It can't be done where you go to a friend who happens to be in the music, but it, it has to be done in a certain way that sounds exactly like what you would hear in voiceover. So the demo reel is kick-ass. Now, you have to be an entrepreneur because ultimately that's what you are and you're asking people to partner with you in your business. That's where the unstoppability comes in. So you have to really be able to identify what would stop you from connecting with people around you, your business, so that you can let those barriers go and become unstoppable in getting your work to the right people so that you can get work and flourish and become a working voice actor. My advice is that you understand who you are, you develop your craft, your voice, and get in touch with your breath, find partners like an agent, casting people, producers that will hire you or change your life by connecting you to people that will, and then move from there. But developing your skill is something that's ongoing. It's never going to stop. And one thing I was saying earlier, I do a lot of things to work on my own craft and skills. So I don't just teach and I don't just do it. I also develop myself on every level. So I do yoga. I do aerobics. I study opera for my voice. I study link letter, which is a certain technique to identify the different tension in your body and in your voice so that you can be free in your voice. I study scene study. I study acting. I study commercial acting. So I study different things and put it all together in a pot so that when I step in front of the microphone, I am truly present. That's really important to know that voiceover is an ongoing craft to study. It's not necessarily something you have to study every day like dance. Dance, you have to do it every day. But I'm saying you have to develop yourself and keep yourself developing and growing and changing and evolving. That's the process. There's always room for improvement and improvement meaning being empowered and if we are in an area of communication, then you want to be powerful in communication and learn all you need to learn on a regular basis to be a powerful communicator, because that's what we're doing.